Well, good morning, church. For those of you I haven't yet had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Zach Anderson, and I serve as one of the pastors here at at, uh, Covenant. The last couple of months have been two of the best of my life, um, and that's because August the 2nd, my wife Kelsey and I welcomed uh, our firstborn son into our home. He's beautiful. Uh, Ellis David Anderson, he's an absolute delight, and I love, love, love being his dad. Uh, He's got three modes when he's awake. Chill, screaming and crying, or uh, doing the baby kick and bleeding like a goat. So... And that's what he does. I've never heard another baby like it, uh, but it brings us lots and lots of joy. Uh, Seriously, we have been so blessed uh, and felt so loved and cared for by our church family uh, since Ellis has been born. And uh, over the course of my paternity leave, I got to spend so much time with him in the first uh, weeks and months of his life, and, and I have you guys to thank for that, uh, for allowing me the gift of a paternity leave, and so uh, thank you. It's been a joy. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at God's Word, the book of James, chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn, physical or digital. Uh, James is almost the last book in your Bible, but not quite. And we're going to read from chapter 4, verses 4 through 10. I'll give you just a second to find it. There's like this much room left between our passage and the, the end of the Bible. All right, let's receive God's word. James 4, 4. You adulterous people. All right, at 9 o'clock, everyone tried to get up and leave after that, so I just had to make sure you were still here. Uh, let's, let's carry on. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. This is God's word for us. We're his people, so we give thanks. Let's, let's pray. Well, Father, uh, first, Lord, I, I want to thank you um, for giving us breath this day. Uh, for each son and daughter of yours who is here this morning, uh, you have a purpose for this day in their lives. And uh, Lord, so I, I ask that you would bind my tongue and my lips, that no false word would pass from them, 
uh, that you would move me aside. You know exactly what is going on in each and every one of your children's hearts and exactly what they need to hear from your word. So uh, move me aside, Lord, and, and just speak directly to them. We humble ourselves before you. Uh, we're ready for you to lift us up. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, this past week, my wife was out of town, and she was visiting her parents. She took our son, uh, and I missed him real bad. Uh, time apart, though, sometimes can do good in a relationship. And I'm not saying that I wanted to be apart from Kelsey or Ellis, uh, but you know the old phrase, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Well, that's the place in which I found myself this week. Uh, I think it was Thursday, Thursday or Friday, I found myself in a very reflective place. And I started looking back through old uh, pictures on my phone, and I came to some pictures from my wedding day. Uh, December the 10th, 2016, best day of my life. Uh, Kelsey and I were wed. And I remember there was so much anticipation. We were engaged uh, for nine excruciatingly long months. <laughs> and, um, yeah, sorry, uh, sorry to complain. We were engaged for nine months. They felt long to me. Uh, and there was great anticipation surrounding our wedding day. Uh, and I remember the day itself. I spent hours and hours in the groom's suite. Uh, it took me about 10 minutes to get ready. And then I spent the other like eight hours just looking at my watch every two and a half minutes. And, um, you know, I remember that I, I was excited to get married, but I just couldn't wait to see her. You know that moment. For me, I was standing at the front uh, next to the pastor. The day had dragged by, but it was finally here. And I'm looking back, and the doors are closed. And then the music changed. The doors opened up, and there she was, my bride, my beautiful one, my Kelsey. And my heart rejoiced at the sight. So since, uh, since about mid-August... We've been preaching through a series called We the Church. And maybe you've heard this or maybe you haven't, but all throughout Scripture, we, the church, are referred to as the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. And from the Old Testament, at the very beginning of the Bible, all the way to the very last book, God is weaving this grand narrative, a love story. And God pursues us as individuals, as a part of his pursuit of the whole. 
He pursues us as his pursuit of the church, his bride, his beautiful one. And the whole of Scripture is a testament to it. Uh, Back in Isaiah, if you have your Bible again, I'll invite you to turn there. Isaiah chapter 62, verse 5. There's a prophecy of the coming celebration. And God, through Isaiah the prophet, gives this message to his people. He says, just as a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder, capital B, it's a reference to God, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. If you have a pen, I invite you to just underline that. As as the bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. I want you to underline it so you never forget. God rejoices over you. And then at the very end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, we had the prophecy foretold in Isaiah 62, and now in Revelation 19, there's a vision given to John of that last day, that celebration, the beginning of eternity. And in Revelation 19, John describes his vision, verses 6 to 8. It says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen bright and clean, was given her to wear. And the scripture tells us that fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. So in Isaiah, we have this prophecy of the wedding to come. And in Revelation, the celebration and the rejoicing of the bridegroom is described. But but where does that leave us right now? Right now, and in the book of James, our passage for this morning... We find ourselves in this in-between space, in between the prophecy and the fulfillment. The book of James is a letter, uh, and it's written to the church. Anybody want to guess who wrote the book of James? Wow, y'all are quick. Good. James wrote... Uh, This is the brother of Jesus. He wrote the book of James as a letter to the church. But it's not just a happy, smiling church like we are this morning. Uh, This church has endured a great persecution, a suffering, and a scattering. And so they have been scattered apart from one another amongst the pagans and the non-believers. And so James writes this letter. James is often called uh, the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's an instruction on practical ways to live as a believer. And chapter 4 is a passage about the importance of sticking together. Verses 1 through 3, the first half of the chapter before our passage, James is preaching about unity and not fighting and quarreling amongst one another. And then right after our passage, he talks about not slandering one another, being unified, sticking together. But right here in the middle, 
our passage opens with, you adulterous people. This you adulterous people and this grieve, mourn, and wail, uh, calling the people double-minded, it allows us to infer that these Christians who've been scattered are no longer dwelling in unity with one another. They are no longer worshiping their God and following his teachings and his commands. They are living amongst non-believers and they're beginning to look, sound, and act like non-believers. And so James refers to them as an adulterous people. He's referring to the church as the bride of Christ. And this marriage covenant between God and us, and yet these people are fleeing from God into adulterous relationship with other gods, idols. And right smack in the middle, James addresses a very important reality. Church, there is a war going on right now. And the subject of this war is our hearts. Good versus evil. Truth versus deception. The bridegroom versus the adversary. And both want to capture the hearts and the affections of the bride, the church, you and me. It's a battle for our hearts. And so James describes both sides of this battle. In verse 5 he says that the scripture says the spirit of God jealously longs for us. Like a jealous husband, I want your heart. But in verse 7, James acknowledges the presence of the adversary when he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And just as God pursues the heart of the individual, he pursues your heart to get at the whole, the church, the bride. The devil attacks the individual to break down and break apart the whole, the church, the bride. If you know me very well, uh, you know that I am a super nerd when it comes to works of fiction. Uh, Doug's laughing because he's my other nerd in this room. And uh, I love anything fantasy, science fiction, books, movies, stories, the works. I'm all about it. And uh, one of my favorites, thanks to my wife Kelsey, is Harry Potter. Got any Harry Potter fans in the room? All right. Harry Potter is awesome, and it's rich with uh, biblical narrative. And in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, if you're a book fan, it's just the Deathly Hallows movie fan, it's Deathly Hallows Part 1. <laughs> There's no hatred there. You can be a movie fan or a book fan, but if you haven't read the books, you're not a real fan. So, <laughs> um, In the Deathly Hallows, Deathly Hallows Part 1, we see this battle 
going on. And it's the climax of the narrative. Our gang of heroes, Harry, Ron, Hermione, amongst others, uh, are in this epic conflict against Lord Voldemort, the adversary, the enemy, he who must not be named. And they've discovered at this point in the story uh, that in order to destroy Lord Voldemort, they have to first find and destroy the seven pieces of his soul that he's hidden in various items of some to no significance, seemingly, called horcruxes. And so they go on this journey to find and destroy the horcruxes. And at this point, they have kind of unwittingly taken out a couple of them. Uh, But in the Deathly Hallows, they come upon this horcrux, and it's a necklace. And they are trying to destroy it, but no matter what they attempt either spell or physical harm, they cannot penetrate this necklace. They can do nothing to destroy it. Um, And so they have to go on the run because they can't destroy it yet. They haven't figured it out. But also Voldemort is trying to recapture it to protect himself. And so they go on the run and they keep this necklace in the safest place they know. They wear it. If you remember the story you remember the sinister nature of the attacks that ensued. It wasn't a wizard's duel. Rather, the wearer of the Horcrux began to get personally manipulated and undermined as the Horcrux, Voldemort, began to whisper lies directly to the heart of the wearer. At one point, Ron Weasley is wearing the necklace, the Horcrux, and they're walking along through the woods on the run, and Voldemort begins to attack the darkest places of his heart. And Voldemort says, you know, your best friend and your girlfriend, they're really a better couple than you and Hermione. In fact, they wish that you weren't around so that they could get together and and you would just stop standing in the way and stop muddling things up on this journey, this mission. They'd rather you leave. Voldemort takes it further and goes deeper into his past and begins to say, Ron, you know, your mom, she never wanted you she wanted a daughter and you were such a disappointment to her because you were a boy not a girl but not only that if she's got to have a son Harry is the real one that she always would have wanted you're you're nothing to her She wishes you'd never been born. She wishes your best friend was her son instead. And Voldemort attacks the individual to break apart the whole. And that's just how the devil comes at us. That's just how the devil comes at us. 
Church, the devil is, is real, a very real enemy laying siege to the walls of the church. And the walls of the church is not these walls around you. The walls of the church, the bricks by which the church is being built, has been built. It's you and me. It's the believers. And the devil wants to take us down one at a time. But there's some hope. James 4, 7 says this. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. This word flee, it's the Greek word. Uh, I need to look it up from, so I don't get this wrong. I wrote down the pronunciation. Fugo. Fugo. And it doesn't mean just to run. It means literally to run to safety. It implies fear. And James says that when we resist the devil, he will fugo from us. Flee to safety in fear. Now, how can I get some of that? Because I've experienced the lies and the attacks of the devil. It doesn't feel like he's all that afraid of me. Right? Have you been there? Have you heard that voice whispering, tugging at the, the darkest memories you have? At the darkest sins you've ever committed. Yet we have this promise. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He will flee from you. So we have to ask a question. How do we resist the devil? Well, let's go to Jesus. In John chapter 8, Jesus gives us a teaching about what the devil is like. And he says that the devil is a liar. But not only that, he says that he's the father of lies. So every lie that exists in our world is birthed from the devil. And it says that lying, deception, is his native language. So my native language is English. When you hear me speaking, uh, except in communion later in the Spanish service, where I'm just reading words that I don't understand, you can bet that I'm speaking English because it's my native language, right? The devil's native language is deception. So when you hear his voice, you can bet it's a lie every time. And so resistance, it's about agreement. It's about agreement. You see, if the devil is the father of lies, what does that make God? Anybody? Truth. Father of truth. Say it like you believe it. The father of truth. All right. I wasn't sure if that was going to happen, but love it. The father of truth. And this battle, this war for our hearts, it's about agreement. Let me tell you what I mean. Again, we'll look to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus enters into the wilderness 
and he begins to be tempted by Satan. And Satan offers him a lie. Here, Jesus, would you like to have this? And Jesus has a choice to agree with the lie. Yes, I believe what you're telling me. Or to do what's in the first half of verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God, the Father of truth, to agree with the truth. And we know what Jesus does. Jesus spits right back at the devil's face a verse straight out of the Bible. The very words, the native language of the Father of truth. He says, I'm not going to agree with the lie you've offered me. I'm going to agree with my Father, the one who speaks the truth. And he does it three times in a row. And then guess what happens? The devil flees. The devil flees. Brothers and sisters, when the devil attacks you, I don't know how many times you'll have to resist. I don't know how many times you'll have to resist, but I don't know about you. I don't want to sit here dormant and let the devil feed me lies like food. I want to fight back. When the devil comes to offer me temptation and despair, I want to say to him, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, there had no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. This is nothing new, Satan. And God is faithful. He will not suffer me to be tempted beyond what I'm able, but with the temptation, he'll provide a way of escape every time. Every time. Brothers and sisters, I can see in some of your faces that the devil is feeding you a lie right now. And maybe it sounds a bit like this. Maybe it sounds like, yeah, you know what Pastor Zach is preaching is true. If you resist me, I'll run, and Jesus will rejoice over you as the bridegroom rejoices over his bride. But you remember what you did yesterday? You remember what you did uh, last year in your office, in your room? Remember that thought you had in your car? This message is true, but you don't really qualify. You don't really qualify because you're not a beautiful bride. You're tainted. Let me give you guys a few weapons. Romans 6.23 While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16 For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him. Not the good enough people who believe in him. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And Isaiah 62.5, your God will rejoice over you like a bridegroom over a bride. Church, the bridegroom is waiting at the altar. And he's looking at the doors with anticipation in his heart. He's there at the end of time and the beginning of eternity. And your God will rejoice over you with loud singing. Because we are the church. We are the bride. Let's go forth and stick together. Let's be unified with one another. When the devil tries to bring down the whole by attacking the one, let's resist. Let's lift each other up. Let's help one another. Let's pray for one another. Let's remind one another of the truth that's in God's word. Because the bridegroom wants our heart. Let's pray. Father, this truth is too wonderful. See what kind of love the Father has for us. That he give up his very son. So that we can be his children. Thank you, Lord. And church, I want to just invite you in this moment. If there's still that lie being whispered in your heart about your, your own value, your own worth, God's love for you, the grace of Jesus, whatever it is, I want you to pause to pray and say, Satan, I don't agree with you. Holy Spirit, renew my mind and tell me the truth. Thank you, Lord. And God, as we continue and enter into this time of offering, we know that you are the provider. And I ask, Lord, that you would bless the gift and the giver alike. That the gifts would be multiplied to do your good work in this community. And that the givers would be blessed with the freedom that comes from giving things away. And the joy of true generosity. 
love you, Lord. Thank you so much for your love, your rejoicing over us. This we pray in your name, Jesus.